Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for July 10th, 2008. I'd like to welcome back my regular panel, uh, David McKee from the Las Vegas Advisor. Hey, David. Hi. Uh, we've got Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. Hey, Chuck. How's it going, Hunter? Good. How are you? Great. Uh, Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. I hope, like, hopefully, I got that right. Hey, Dave. That is right. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Dave, you might want to hit star four. You're a little bit quiet. Okay. Boost your signal a little bit. Is that and better? Yeah, that is better. Okay. Thank you. And last but not least, Jeff Simpson from the Las Vegas Sun and In Business Las Vegas. Welcome, Jeff. Good afternoon, folks. Uh, my name is Hunter Hillegas, and I run RateVegas.com, and we're glad to have you guys here today. Uh, we've got a bunch of interesting topics, but before we dive in, uh, I've got a little bit of an announcement, uh, something I've been working on for a while, and I'm excited that it's finally coming together. This podcast, along with uh, two other popular Las Vegas podcasts, Five Hundred My Midnight and The Strip, will be recording live shows in front of an audience on August 16th in the lounge at The Palms, which is uh, on Flamingo right off the Strip. We will be we will be hosting Palms owner George Maloof uh, on our roundtable in an interview, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, the details are on the web, and I'll post a link in the show notes for everybody that wants to check it out. The shows will probably run about a half an hour each to make sure that we don't take up too much of people's time, but uh, we're really looking forward to it. It's totally 100% free, and I hope everybody can come down. Um, I want to thank Steve Fries, Tim Dressen, and George Maloof for helping putting all this stuff together. Um, as I was saying to these guys before we started here, it's a little bit of an experiment, but we'll we'll see how it goes, and uh, and who knows, maybe we'll end up doing it again sometime. Okay, now to get into our first topic, I you know when we were when I was putting together the show notes today or earlier this week, I was thinking we wouldn't have that much to talk about, but in the last couple of days, a bunch of stuff's come out that's kind of interesting or distressing, and uh, we'll get to it. So first, out of the gate. Um, two stories out of uh, out of Wynn Resorts, and we'll get we'll get to the story about the the uh, release of some early financials in a minute. But the first thing I want to talk about is the company hiring Tim Poster and Tom Breitling, who were made famous for buying and selling the Golden Nugget a few years back. Uh, they've been hired as I believe development executives at Wynn Resorts uh, in an announcement last week. When I heard it, I thought it was a, an interesting matchup, um, two vibrant young guys uh, joining the Wynn team. I think uh, they would probably tell you that they were influenced and looked up to Steve Wynn, so it seems like an, a good match. But I'm wondering if anybody uh, has any more specific info on exactly what these guys are going to be doing there, if they've given any more details. Well, um, this is Dave Schwartz. I've communicated with Tom Breitling a little bit. And he didn't give me any specifics. It just said they were really excited about getting to work with Steve Wynn and that there were a lot of different projects they were going to get involved with both in the U.S. and Asia. And he left it pretty general, um, probably for good reason. But it seems like they'll be helping uh, Wynn Resorts sort of design new properties and look for new opportunities and stuff like that. I mean, it sounds pretty interesting. I could even imagine them, you know, operating some kind of a, a sub-brand or an imprint or, you know, some, maybe some kind of smaller boutique operation. I wonder how long this has been in the works. We had we had Breitling on this show not that long ago, uh, and, you know, he was sort of coy on uh, on what's, what's going down in the future. But I know that both of those guys have been interested in jumping back in at some point in the future. Did, 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 does anybody know, did they start already? I mean, are they... Uh, they started they Monday. Okay. They started Monday. Interesting. Well, it'll be definitely interesting to see uh, what comes out of that um, as Wynn builds their team. I mean, obviously, he he had some high-profile hires early on, especially the Jack Binion thing. It seemed to sort of fizzle. But uh, who knows? Maybe they will um, Maybe they will be big contributors. But the the other Wynn item that uh, that I want to talk about was just released shortly, uh, or just sorry, just a little while ago. Um, and that was they, the company released some preliminary financial data, um, basically some basic statistics for the second quarter. Uh, the financials won't be out until the end of the month, but they did give some information on both Win Las Vegas and Win Macau, which I thought were both interesting, and they basically diverge in opposite directions. Win Las Vegas um, operating income looked like it was way down, and at Win Macau it looked like it was way up. 
Um, you know, would you guys agree this sort of seems like a, a, a clearer sign as any that uh, Las Vegas is hurting pretty bad right now? This is Dave Schwartz. I'll jump in this one again. Yeah, um, go for it. Yeah, you know, definitely the numbers aren't good. We just got, we just found out that gaming revenues are down 15% this in May. So yeah, it doesn't look like they're on the upswing right now. It looks like they are down, but I think this is really why it pays to be diversified. And you know, having a presence in Asia and in the U.S. is pretty good at you know will shield you from any fluctuations in either market. Yeah, I agree. Now, did anybody see this coming? I mean, this just seems like a big hit. The the Win Las Vegas numbers, um, according to the release, um, they're expecting the operating income to be between 18 to 22 million, and that's down from 63.4 million in the year ago quarter, which is a pretty significant drop. This is Hunter. This is Jeff Simpson. I, th- I think it's tough for any um, any outside observer to say one particular property is doing better or worse within a quarter, but I think that the entire market. Um, if you've looked at the sort of accelerating um, or decelerating uh, performance of all the casinos in Nevada, um, particularly on the Strip, um, you've you know over as as the last few months have gone by, it's been worse and worse. So when you you know I, I think what you're going to see is that Wynn Resorts is just is like all the other big gaming companies um, on the Strip. Um, you know, they only have one property there, but I think they're all going to have, you know, really miserable quarters. Um, I'd be surprised if any of them had good quarters. It's tough for them to do it with the numbers that everybody's uh, reporting um, to the control board. So, you know, no, I don't think it's a surprise. Um, I think their uh, Macau performance, they seem to keep their, their continuing to do well there. So, you know, you're exactly right. It was sort of a tale of two performances. Macau looked pretty darn robust. I, I'm told in after hours trading that actually wind stock is up. So uh, apparently the market seemed to reward the uh, the Macau numbers. Maybe you know there's been some sort of there's been some almost conflicting news out of Macau recently where you you get the you know the drumbeat of of overexpansion and then there's some, been some stories about changes to the junket percentages. Um, but apparently um, the the investors seem to be rewarding the stock. I mean, maybe they thought it was going to be worse. Than yeah, it, it jumped 15% in after hours trading, and that's that's pretty good. So I mean, clearly uh, clearly somebody has confidence in this company. Uh, and a, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Chuck. Uh, yeah, this is Chuck. Uh, there was also something else that came out on the wire today. Is that when uh, approved a $500 million stock buyback plan. So I, I'm, it was like $1.2 billion of buyback, and uh, they upped it another half uh, half a billion dollars. So uh, I'm wondering if the, the release, the preliminary release of this information might partially be to drive the stock down a little bit so they can get a better price on buying back. So yeah, also, you know, Oh, go ahead. They're, also talking, they're also talking about floating uh, a separate uh, win ticker on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange as well. Uh, it's, it's not permanent, but it's kind of been doing the rounds in the uh, financial press as well. So they're, bu- they're buying back stock, but they're going to offer some more in uh, Hong Kong. It's, it's, it's kind of an interesting with all the timing and stuff, what, what exactly they're trying to do. Yeah, you know, I saw that story about the Hong Kong market. Uh, I think they were hoping maybe to raise up to three billion dollars. Some of the some of the reporting on it made it sort of seem like there may not be quite that big of an appetite for that right now. Um, but yeah, you know, the the stock buyback thing is important, and I know I believe a week or two back there also was a release, an SEC filing, um, one of Wynn's directors, John Moran, I think. Uh, and it had to file an insider report for buying a bunch of stock. So, you know, the, I guess you could say that uh, if the insiders are, are thinking the stock is uh, undervalued, then maybe maybe uh, the thing isn't going to go as deep as, as some people think. Or, um, you know, the companies, obviously they believe in the company's long-term prospects. And, 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 and certainly I would never say that they're not going to do a stock sale. I think that it's hard to believe that they do one right now and with the current market um, and sort of announcing that they're doing a stock buyback um, probably, I mean, if you saw yesterday with all the rumors of a stock um, of a, of another public offering, 
that hammers the value of the stock um, when they announce that instead of that, um, here's our performance in Macau um, and probably an expected ne negative performance in Las Vegas, but say that simultaneously we're going to buy back stock that they believe in their stock. Um, you know, that's going to boost the stock price. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, Wynn seems to not have a lot of, uh, he doesn't really get concerned with the day-to-day you know, maybe even quarter-to-quarter -quarter move of the stock price. I think he believes in his company, and he'll let that shake out in the long run. Yeah, I think he also right. On a uh, on an interview with, uh, I believe it was Steve Fries, that you know he kind of wanted the stock price to go down because they wanted to buy back as much as they possibly could. So, in terms of you know quarter-to-quarter, -quarter, uh, worrying about what the uh, what the price is, yeah. But, uh, you know, if they want to gain more ownership of the company, you know, this is a great time for them to do it for sure. So keep driving it down while it's going down. Absolutely. Well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see more uh, more of the uh, directors and, and top-level executives even buying more stock as uh, as it continues. But, you know, the win, the win numbers, I think, um, sort of lead into one of our next items, which is, uh, and, and Dave, you mentioned part of this a minute ago. Um, the the main numbers for Nevada. There was a story in the Las Vegas Sun today, um, down 15%, I believe. Uh, and then David, you had shown me some data on on Illinois, um, and specifically, David, with Illinois, I'm hoping you can you can fill us in a little bit more, especially how those numbers relate to the smoking ban in Illinois. Right. Well, uh, Dave, first, I'd say. Uh, yeah. So, Dave, do you? The, uh, the the numbers in Nevada, um, we saw those, what, I think 15% is correct, right, yeah. uh, for yeah. May? Yeah. And it looks like, uh, based on this article in The Sun, um, the, the strip fell, I think, 16%. That was there. And the strip strip win is about half of the state's mm -hmm. fall win, I think. Mm -hmm. um, now, as a, as a, looking historically, the last couple quarters, this has been a trend, right? Yeah, it has. You know, definitely it's been on the decline. And I think that, you know, when you tie this in with the win results, I think there's a definite possibility that win is going to be hurt less than other casinos by this decline, you know, which makes a little bit of sense when you think about it because they're less dependent on the drive-in base. You know, they're not like a circus circus where 90% of the people are driving in. They're more catering to an international crowd, so they're a little bit more shielded from the you know from the energy prices here, so mm -hmm. I think that wins results might actually be seen as good ones when all is said and done. Yeah, well, the, the state certainly can't be too excited with their budget problems about this, but it looks also like you know part of this was obviously the economy plays a big role, but also it looks like the hold percentage uh, was was down a bit as well. The so customers in some some places were just being a little bit more lucky, which is just the way things go. Yeah, and also if you look at the numbers across the different jurisdictions, um, North Las Vegas and Boulder Strip were down by almost a third. So that's about twice as much as a statewide average. So I yeah, think that wow. also says that there's a slowing of the local demand, which, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, maybe that's a billion or so a year out of that $11 billion pie, but that's still, you know, that still says a lot about the fiscal health of Las Vegas itself. Well, we had some forewarning of that in the uh, the uh, poll that came out earlier this week where half of, of locals players surveyed said that they were, were cutting their gambling budgets as opposed to, well, I think it was about a third, I don't remember off the top of my head, but a much lower percentage of, of California ones. So, you know, and then and then the these results from Boulder Strip and North Las Vegas certainly bear that out. And now as we as we look at these Nevada numbers, how 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 do they compare to what's going on in Illinois? Oh, what's happening in Illinois is much worse. Um it's uh and you have to we don't have the results from Iowa and, and Missouri yet, but it's when you look at them in juxtaposition uh, with Indiana, Illinois is is taking is really taking it on the chin, and that's when you when you consider all the variables, uh, you the one thing that really stands out is the smoking ban, because yeah. not only is is Indiana 
down uh, 21% um, compared to to uh, Indiana, which is only down about 12%. Well, plus the two, you know, mitigated somewhat by the two new Racinos. Um, but it's it, there are you've had seven uh, straight months of of decline in Illinois, uh, just across the board. The there's no um, and so and the smoking ban went into effect January first, and since then it's just been down, down, down for. For everybody, I think there was one operator in the entire state who who posted a gain during that period, and that was it. Uh, but the you know, and it's not just it's it's not just small, uh, you know, it's not just incremental declines. But you're looking at at double digit declines month after month, and then. Um, there's you can uh, compare that to some of the numbers in in uh, northwestern Indiana, for instance, and and make the case that that you've got Indiana or Illinois players migrating to Indiana. I mean, you're certainly seeing a lot of uh, a lot of hemorrhage in markets like uh, the the St. Louis suburbs and uh, the Chicago ones, where players might be. Uh, you know, would have alternatives right across the state line to which they mm-hmm. could defect. And uh, also everybody in, in the midst of all of this, while everybody is, is losing, uh, losing uh, revenue hand over fist compared to last year, Harris and MGM are increasing market share at the expense of, of all the other companies in the state. So the uh so it's a double whammy for the smaller operators well now remind me um jurisdictions where where smoking is no longer allowed now i know in nevada that's still allowed in the casinos but the some the public other public areas it's no longer allowed what's the status of atlantic city in terms of smoking uh it's it's completely banned as of october 15th i believe it's it's already banned in new york and delaware Pennsylvania is passing a law that will restrict it to 25% of the casino floor, um, and then there's there a smoking ban was passed in Colorado, but some of the casinos are are basically ignoring it and they're citing this loophole that well, if you're a cigar bar. Uh, that that you don't have to comply with the smoking ban, and because we sell X amount of tobacco products, that makes us a cigar bar. So, and and we dare you to do anything about it. Now, Dave Schwartz, um, I know I know uh, you follow Atlantic City probably closer than I do. Have you seen any uh, anything in their numbers that would indicate the smoking bans having a serious impact over there? It's hard to say, you know, they've got so many different, there's so many factors there with the Pennsylvania competition. It would be, you know, it's like when California opened up um, Indian casinos, it'd be foolish to say that didn't impact Reno when it obviously did. So it's hard to say whether it's a smoking ban or the Pennsylvania competition or a little bit of both. Yeah. And the Atlantic City players will have fewer places to which to migrate, Mm -hmm. whereas in, you know, Illinois' problem is they can flee in all directions. Right. That's a good point. Well, it, there seems to be an awful lot of doom and gloom um, financial news. Not, you know, obviously not just in the in the gaming industry, but also, you know, throughout the entire economy. And I just have, as I was writing this up, I just had sort of a, a funny question, and I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> you, you you would hear oftentimes in the past that certain industries are immune from an economic downturn, and, and gaming was oftentimes mentioned as one of those. Obviously, that's not the case this time around. Any chance that? A was that even ever true, uh, or and B um, is is the drawback of the casinos. Obviously, especially in Las Vegas, have heavily diversified their revenue streams, um, moving away from gaming as the primary driver to all sorts of other things. Is that diversification of revenue playing into worse numbers in this time of an economic downturn? Any thoughts on that one? Well, as somebody who's taken a look at some of the past numbers, I think that gaming was never recession proof. 
I think the problem is that gaming was so restricted geographically in past recessions, there really wasn't any comparison. And yeah, over, you know, from 1970 to 1980, Las Vegas grew, but definitely they had some downturns. And certainly from 78 to 81, the economy wasn't doing well at all here. So I think that's, that was probably never true. Right. I think, you know, eh. what was the second question? Uh, just, you know, uh, just wondering if, if the diversification of revenue streams has played into this hurting Las Vegas more this time than maybe in the past. But, you know, I, I agree with you. It may be hard to tell just because we're maybe comparing apples and oranges. Yeah, I think maybe the revenue stream has actually helped it because, you know, you're pulling from more international tourists. You're pulling from a lot of people who are kind of the super rich, who the economic downturn isn't really going to affect at all. So I think that's that might have kind of cushion the blow a little bit. Well, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, so we'll we'll move off the financial uh, unhappy news and talk about something else even more happy, which is guests getting seriously ill. Um, <laughs> uh, Jeff Simpson, um, this week we, I think it was this week, we saw a story about the Tropicana and some guests that got sick with a suspected E. coli outbreak. Can you fill us in a little bit on what happened there? You know, I, and and to be honest, I I did not follow that <clears throat> that story all that closely, um, other than reading uh, news accounts. I think that uh, you know we we attempted to stay up on what the health district was doing. Sort of an embarrassing uh, thing for that property. It's it's a uh, they actually had a well or have a well that they were providing water for uh, um, for their hotel guests. And, uh, you know, some of these hotels have really long-standing water rights, and uh, that that well was part of it. And evidently some of the water um, was tested, and it had uh, E. coli present in it. And uh, so they, you know, reported it, shut down the uh, shut down the use of the water, moved everybody out of that hotel tower. Um, you know, uh, to me, the big upshot of that is it's just more bad news for a company that really can't stand that much uh, more bad news, um, regardless of uh, what kind of uh, things they're doing to, you know, get rid of um, any any connections to their past mishaps. It's uh, it was just a bad news story for them. Certainly not a good news story for Las Vegas either. But um, I don't think in the long run we have these little kinds of outbreaks all the time with water or bed bugs and and you know it's in a tourist destination those kind of things are going to happen um just uh it's too bad that uh so many of them can seem to keep happening to the uh tropicana well in, i was wondering if anybody knows the answer to this um i was you know sort of surprised to hear that they had a well that they were using for drinking water i mean i, I know that the, some other properties do use wells um on-site wells especially i think the bellagio does for some of their lake water but um, the existence of, of the, this well also came as a surprise to Clark County, I should add. Yeah, I, that was, I think, part of the story as well. I mean, how common is is this sort of thing? And do we know of any other of any other properties that are actually, especially, using this for drinking water? Does anybody know? I don't. It would be. I think it would definitely be a surprise to the guests. Um, you know, uh, I was certainly surprised to hear it. So. We will have to see what happens. So, uh, you know, the news the news coverage at the time indicated that this was a, a more or less unique phenomenon on the strip. And at this point, they've reopened that tower. Is that correct? It was scheduled to reopen last Thursday. I okay. believe it did. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd heard that they'd had some. You know, there was that they had some water table issues there that. You know, one of the one of the possible complications for building new towers on that land was that they might run into the same kind of sinkage issues that had plagued Mandalay Bay. Uh, but uh, um, little did we know just how much water they had on their yeah. property. Well, I, I, it certainly was a surprise to me. And Jeff, you're absolutely right. It's uh, you know, this is a company that doesn't really need any more uh, upsetting of the apple cart as they're desperately trying to uh, <laughs> to uh, stay together. But, you know, I certainly, if I was one of those guests, I, uh, I probably would have been pretty upset if my vacation was ruined. Yeah, well, they've, they've put some good bargain uh, before this happened. They've been putting some good, good bargain plays out there. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see, of course, what, what happens with... Um, 
the once bodies, uh, which has less than a month to run, and then Titanic are out of there, although in, in best Columbia Sussex fashion, they jacked up the t- ticket prices <laughs> for those yet again. Nice. Let it grab every last dollar on the way out. Yeah. Well, I think uh, on one of these upcoming shows, we'll have to uh, we'll have to do another check in on Columbia Sussex to uh, to give the listeners a status report on where they stand because uh, well, hopefully we'll get some some news that we can use as jumping off point. But uh, it it seems like uh, their situation isn't really getting all that much better. Um. All right. Uh, another story I want to talk about. Where it's in a jurisdiction that we haven't really talked about all that often on the show, and that's Pennsylvania. Um, and this is Pittsburgh. Um, Las Vegas casino operator Don Barden has been working on a project there. Uh, I have to admit, I don't know that much about the project or the gaming laws in the state, or Don Barden for that matter. Um, but David, I know that you've been covering this on your blog. Can you give the broad strokes on, uh, on what he's doing out there and why it's controversial? Well, to sort of answer your questions in reverse order, Don Barden uh, is the, the wealthiest man in Detroit, uh, an extremely successful businessman. Uh, he bought back in, I want to say 2001, he bought the Fitzgerald's chain. Uh, he had a, he had assembled a, 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 a modest uh, empire of casinos. Uh, but he had never built one, unless unless you count uh, one of his two river boats up in Indiana. Uh, but all and he was one of three finalists for a slot parlor in Pittsburgh. Now the Pittsburgh City Planning Commission did a they rated the three proposals, one of which was perceived in the community as a stalking horse for Harrah's, um, which. May, which engendered something of a backlash at the time. One of them was an Isle of Capri project, and the third was Don Barden's. Barden essentially thumbed his nose at the planning commission, did not cooperate with the study in light of what we know now. He may not have uh, actually had the information they were looking for. His his due diligence on this project is a little suspect. Uh, but he got by far the lowest. There, you could get 600 possible points. Harris got, uh, I believe, 384, and Barden came in third, somewhere in the 260 range. Uh, his his project was in a site where it was going to it was going to create traffic issues with with Heinz Field, where the Steelers play, and it was near a museum where a lot of school trips go. Mm. There were various strikes uh, against it. But in spite of all of this, when when the, the uh, finalists were sifted, Barden somehow came out with the brass ring. Uh, one of the interesting, at the time, he was budgeting his project at $450 million. And he even ridiculed the Harris Project, which was being budgeted at $512 million, as being too expensive for what the market could bear. Well, we flash forward a couple of years, and the budget on his casino has ballooned to $780 billion, uh, none of, all of which is, is borrowed. Uh, Barden has no equity in the project. His Backers are basically trying to. They, they're, they're, they've ordered him to put some in, basically. So he put the downtown Fitzgeralds on the market, but there have apparently been no takers for the property. And as while that was transpiring, his cash flow ran out. Uh, oh, I also should mention that one of the things that the Pennsylvania Gaming Commission chose to overlook in granting license to Barden was that his Majestic Star uh, casino company uh, had lost money in four of the last five years, and the losses were widening. But So anyway, his, um, earlier this month, work shut down on the casino. 
uh, and it has not resumed. Um, they've uh, they've disconnected the web camera through which you could see the work that wasn't taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, these, you know, he's been saying for for a month now that that he's just he's just a couple of weeks away from having his financing finalized and various investment partners come in and come out and right now they're proposing an arrangement whereby the co-owners of a couple of other Pennsylvania casinos would would have stakes in his. So even though Pennsylvania law says you can't have more than majority interest in one casino and minority interest in another, now there's going to be this unforeseen situation where you have three casinos with interlocking ownership. Um, and the whole thing, and one of the things that's really stirring the pot right now was that it emerged that Barden had petitioned the various civic and county and state authorities to to downsize his project, uh, to reduce its height by 30%, and then there was going to be this kind of grand uh, entryway that he wants to shave down by 20%, and at the same time, because they discovered that since they were next to river, oh my God, there are water table issues. So they're proposing instead of building a garage that was going to be two floors underground and eight above, now I just want to build ten, all ten floors above ground. So you've got a casino that will be 30% lower and a garage that's going to be 25% higher, which is which is not going over well with some of the people who are going to have to look at it every day. Um, and uh, so all of all of this is has really it's it's kind of kicked over a hornet's nest in Pennsylvania, but the problem is that various state and county and city and, well, even the Pittsburgh Penguins, various entities have have already booked revenue from this casino into their their operating, uh, you know, into their, their revenue projections, their operating budgets. So uh, they're, they, they kind of have to keep this going, even though it all just seems to be, you know, coming down around their ears. So it's a strange, it's 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 a strange situation where uh, it's like everybody is dragging everybody else down, and I, you know, Don Barden is he's not so much. I I would hesitate to to paint him as the villain of this scenario. It's more like he's the catalyst that has that has. Um, crystallized just how crony-ridden and slipshod and inept and and um, sometimes ethically questionable the uh, whole implementation of gambling in Pennsylvania has been. I mean, there were numerous red flags on this project, and somehow it sailed through. Barden is a major Democratic Party donor, um, so is one, his his current uh, lead investment partner. Um, so was one of the lead dogs on the Harris Pittsburgh um, project. I mean, there is just uh, you know there and there are other things that were about the uh, some aspects of of the way gaming was going to be set up in Pennsylvania that were. There were even seamier that managed to get struck struck down in the implement in the legislative process. But you know, I mean, this is there was a lot of there were there was a lot of juice going around all through this thing, and and this is you know, I mean, this this is this is the poster child for for you know what happens when a juice job you know actually comes into being and. Um, uh, you know, and now everybody's you know there's this half finished casino sitting on the the north shore of the river there and and um they've got to figure out how to extricate themselves from the situation i you know one a couple things um <clears throat> this is jeff simpson again and uh a a couple things i'd like to add to the what david um just just said first it, it's not really a mystery as to how he got the license i think the uh uh, Philadelphia gaming regulators, when they announced who they were, which 
um, bidders they were choosing to, for the casinos uh, made it pretty clear that um, they were emphasizing um, d- diversity, minority representation, and ownership. And that's why uh, um, one of the uh, um, tribal casinos in um, in Connecticut got the Poconos Casino and why Barden got the Pittsburgh Casino. Um, and, and it was clearly for that reason um, his, uh, I think, by almost all accounts, he did have the inferior uh, bid in Pittsburgh, but um, they wanted to make sure they had uh, minority ownership involved in the state. It was important to them in Pennsylvania. Um, he has never really proven himself to be a uh, a capable casino operator. Um, he did have the monopoly cable franchise in the city of Detroit, which, uh, you know, I mean, he seems pretty expert at, you know, these kind of juice businesses where your political connections and, uh, you know, other non-business related factors give people, uh, you know, give give him a leg up um, in business. I don't think he's really ever proven himself to be some kind of a super, you know, uh, business person. Um, it's certainly his operation of casinos has not suggested that. Um, as for the Las Vegas casino sale, um, they, you know, they've while they are furiously, I guess, attempting to sell it so that he can actually have some uh, a little bit of money to leverage some borrowing um, to build the the uh, Pittsburgh casino. Um, from what we understand, um, what from what we've heard, you know, he's they've been negotiating with a couple sort of uh, you know non-experienced. Um, operators who are taking a flyer, but um, I think there's not a lot of confidence that um, any deal will actually happen. We've heard a couple rumors of possible deals or deals in principle, but you know, no one's put up any money, and I don't think there's a lot of confidence that that would happen. Um, and the uh, as far as <clears throat> what he's done in in Pittsburgh, it's just so foolish when you look at the. Uh, the incredibly robust performance of what Cannery Casino Resorts has done with their um, casino, the Racino, at the Harness Track south of Pittsburgh, it's just, you know, it's just ridiculous that they haven't, you know, begun um, or they, they haven't already begun operations to take as long as they have and to fiddle around trying to come up with cash. They are just throwing money away. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, that casino that that um, Cannery owns um, is making money hand over fist and will continue to do so. And James Packer, when he acquires the company, will continue to do so because of you know, Barden's um, inability to come up with the money to build, you know, a uh, a, a relatively second-class casino in terms of the dollars that are spent on casinos nowadays. So, you know, I, I think that I, I think that to look at Barden and say he's a he's a very good businessman, I I certainly would demur from that assessment. I think that uh, he has had certainly a lot of uh, juiced juiced in deals in his career but um has never really proven his ability to be a uh, a very um profitable businessman in the casino business other than his when he you know his gary casinos benefit from their proximity to to chicago but they certainly um are, you know aren't standouts compared to other casinos in the market in in barden's defense i would say that the the isle of capri project was uh, was it looked like it was going to be a real dog? Uh, there were a number of conceptual problems. Plus, I mean, it's Isle of Capri. That's that's a company that's not seeing very prosperous days. Yeah, that was the one. That, that was the project that was going to build the arena for the Penguins. Yeah, on land right. they didn't own. Yeah, that, that was right. that was one of the conceptual problems. Um, the um, I, I think the the main thing that was that worked. To, you know the main thing that that people seem to object to about the Harris project was that you know was it was Harris and they already had the Chester Racino and people didn't there just seemed to be an a kind of a you know revulsion maybe too strong of a word but a backlash against Harris also getting uh the biggest bite of the Pittsburgh market well i think what? this just shows the kind of problems you have when you let politics decide who's going to run a casino. You know, obviously there's a reason why 
the biggest market in the country, the Las Vegas Strip, is dominated by a couple of big companies. It's because they're able to run a casino better, and people like those casinos better. You know, if they didn't, people would have been flocking into the new frontier, and they huh. wouldn't have gone to Win or MGM Mirage and the MGM Mirage properties. And I think the Pittsburgh is really just a microcosm of the same of the problems they're having in Philadelphia, where they haven't even be, been able to start building the casinos because no neighborhood wants these casinos that they that they want to put in Philadelphia. I agree totally. I think that these these you know politicians, um, when when gambling is introduced as a fu- as a fun source, they almost invariably get it wrong. Um, you know, the exception may be Mississippi. Um, I think Mississippi tried to model on on Nevada's system, um, but in um, in Pennsylvania they went with a an incredibly onerous tax rate minimize the number of casinos in a way that it almost, you know, it, it certainly came down to juice, um, you know, who, uh, uh, you know, the decision about who was going to get to operate a casino. Um, and, it, it, you know, you can't, you, when you limit the numbers, the free market just can't have, um, you know, is, is minimized. And, and that's the problem is it doesn't reward competence. It doesn't reward the ability to raise money and build something good. It, it 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 rewards connections, and uh, that's just uh, you know that's just a recipe for disaster. What's his record been like at uh, Fitzgerald's in Las Vegas? I mean, he hasn't they haven't owned that place for all that long, have, have they? Decidedly mediocre, no, you know, not necessarily um, you know worse than their competitors, but certainly they haven't done anything innovative or or groundbreaking. Um, if, if I remember correctly, it's the biggest hotel outside of the Golden Nugget downtown. It may even be bigger than the Golden Nugget, but um, it is a, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, it's a bargain hotel. I don't think they've done um, anything particularly noteworthy. You know, it's it's certainly um, underperforms many of the other downtown properties. Yeah, and definitely way below what Terry Caldwell's done with uh, Four Queens and certainly what Tillman Fertitta's done and Landry's have done with the Golden Nugget. Yeah, Caudill was rumored as uh, a buyer for Fitzgerald, and they wouldn't talk about it when when we asked them uh, a few weeks ago. But it, you know, I, if there was any any deal happening there, I I gather it went off the boil. As and as far as Barden's properties in general, he promised a whole slew of of. Um, Expansions and improvements, uh, none, no specific ones at the downtown property, but uh, none of them materialized. He, you know, he's he he has kind of he has a track record of of uh, you know talking big and and then under delivering. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think is going to happen here in, in Pittsburgh? Then, I mean, is is there a mechanism to force him to complete this project? Uh, um, just, just, uh, uh, I'm trying to find the right word, but it's a sort of inevitability. I don't know. I, I mean, he can't, uh, I, I think it's more of a question of, uh, I don't think that, that he has to be forced to finish it. I think some, the question, you know, if he, you know, if he can't put the money together, then is the is the gaming uh commission going to going to yank the license and put it out for rebid it unfortunately whoever whoever gets it would be they'd be sort of they'd have to finish off somebody else's casino which might not be the most desirable solution um i mean there you do have one or two people in the state legislature who are uh who want to see this you know this shaken up and and reexamined, but right now, you know, every, from you know the mayor of Pittsburgh, uh, the governor of the state, everybody is just kind of uh, you know you know uttering rah rah uh, mm-hmm. exhortations and saying that they're sure that they they just know it in their bones that that funding is going to come together because I mean I mean basically they're all. You know they uh, they need the money. Uh, right. It just they can't afford to have this thing grind to grind to a halt. Although it effectively has at the moment. And, and certainly, when it does get built, 
Um, it is not going to be a money loser. I mean, they have a monopoly in the city of Pittsburgh, and uh, and except for that Racino, um, they have and a uh, Racino in you know far away Erie. They uh, that's that's it for gambling in Western Pennsylvania. Otherwise, people have to go play in in uh, West Virginia. And so you know, there's it's going to be a profitable casino. The question is. Um, can he get the wherewithal together to build the thing? And uh, so far, not a lot of confidence there. Well, Al, that's an awful lot of that's an awful lot of investment for for that particular market. And I don't know that there's any reason to. I mean, the only, the the main reason that they appear to be downsizing the project so drastically is that if they if they kept their original commitment, it would go even further over budget. You know, they're they're getting awfully close to the billion mark already. Well, uh, if if Don Barden's listening, I will I'll throw in a hundred bucks for a mere ten percent of your project, sir. <laughs> well, he gave he gave somebody else thirty three percent of it for a you know for a for a pittance. So you might so that, have a deal. That was Neil Neil Bloom who yeah. owns the chunk of the Sugar House in Philadelphia, and Neil Bloom was um, Steve Wynn's preferred partner when he bid for the uh, Chicago area casino that. Um, didn't get awarded um, in in Illinois. Um, Neil Bloom also heavily connected politically on the Democratic side, as David made reference to earlier. Well, and Wynn might get a second bite at that apple. That license, uh, they're they're going to announce where they're putting it um, next Wednesday. It's back on the market. Well, that's an interesting story. Maybe we'll cover that next time around. Um, that's probably going to be it for today, unless anybody has anything else that they're dying to discuss. I will note that in an interesting irony, um, the market cap of Steve Wynn's new company, Wynn Resorts, is larger than MGM Mirage, the company that swallowed his old company. So that's just kind of funny the way that the markets do their thing. Um, and I think, David, you said on your blog, I think you said it right, it's amazing what can be done with uh, with two standard-setting casinos in the right markets. He's uh, obviously made quite a run over the last couple of years building that company, and uh, and he's been rewarded. But it, I just thought it was kind of ironic that, uh, <laughs> that in, at least in terms of those numbers, on those market cap numbers, that uh, he's built another whale. Jeff, you think he'll want to buy any of those old Mirage properties back? You know, I mean, if if MGM was in the, was um, in the business of selling them, but you know, I'm I'm sure at the right price, everybody'd be, you know, everybody will look. I I, I do know this that he he's in an enviable position of having recently opened new hotels that are designed by him um, in both markets. Um, I think he's at the where he wants to be at the top of both markets in terms of property pecking order, and so as New properties open. It's his competitors that are getting pushed way down the list, um, and I, I think that for you know, I mean, I, I, you know, you can't rule out him being interested in um, other properties that would become available if the price is right. And certainly, he'd have some lingering affection for the ones that he built and designed. Um, but I, you know, it just seems like what he really loves to do is design them. And build them, um, and so you know that's not to say he loves making a good deal too. So you can't rule that out. But uh, I think that you know he has a lot on his plate right now with Kotai, with with, with Encore or Macau Encore, and with uh, you know the golf course redevelopment that'll follow Encore Las Vegas. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That the company's got a, a, quite a full pipeline, um, and you know. MGM Mirage obviously is doing their thing as well. Uh, I had one more question. I had, yeah. uh, does anybody think that uh, that you know now that that Penn National has this uh, $700 million breakup fee from that LBO that didn't come off? Um, any guesses as to what they might might be buying aside from the uh, buying back some stock? I think that sounds like would, sounds like they're in an acquisitive mode. They definitely would want to make a play on the Strip or in Atlantic City. I would think Atlantic City would probably be easier. I think $700 million might actually get you something there. Uh, maybe Trump Plaza. Um, I don't know what it would get you on the Strip, though. You know, and, 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 and of course, market cap 
um, doesn't tell the whole story. But, I mean, if you want to look at a company with uh, incredibly small market cap, look at Boyd Gaming, $814 million. Now, the, the acquisition cost, of course, is, is enterprise value, which is market cap plus debt. Um, and Boyd uh, is going to be assuming a lot of debt, and I, I, you know, certainly wouldn't say that that would be, uh, you know, what Penn National would go for. But if you want to look at a bargain right now, to me, Boyd Gaming at 814 million market cap, you know, its stock is trading under ten dollars a share, which is just insanity. Um, you know, to me, that's that's the one that you know seems like. You know, they, and and when you compare what they could have, you know, had they bought Aztar, um, compared to what they could buy now, um, all you know, all these all these frustrated Aztar buyers must be thank, thanking you know the Lord that they didn't get that deal, um, and uh, um, you know now all that you know whatever resources they have are uh, much you know much stronger because everything else is priced so low now. Uh, big difference a couple of years makes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, guys, I think that's it for today. Um, thanks to everybody for being here. I'm going to go around the table so you guys can tell people where they can find you. Uh, Jeff Simpson, where can people find you? Not in Don Barden's office. Um, <laughs> here, here in Las Vegas at InBusinessLasVegas.com. Excellent. And I'll, I'll, as a note, um, I finally subscribed to In Business Las Vegas. I'm a happy new subscriber. And for those that aren't familiar, make sure you check out the website if you follow this stuff, if you're interested. Uh, it's inexpensive. It's a good deal. It's a, it's a nicely put together paper. So um, congrats, Jeff. I, uh, I'm enjoying it finally. I don't Thank you, Hunter. So long. Don't know Our my circulation just doubled. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm enjoying it. So thanks. Thank you. Um, Dave Schwartz, where can people find you? People can find me at gaming.unlv.edu or from a more personal side, dieiscast.com. Great. Uh, Chuck Monster. Yeah, vegastripping.com. David McKee, how about you? lasvegasadvisor.com. Excellent. I am at ratevegas.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. And uh, August 16th, check it out. I'll put the link up uh, on the post so everyone can get all the details. (laughs) 